One size fits all seems like a good idea for clothes until you try them on. Same goes for healthcare. That's why United Healthcare offers flexible, budget friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. Learn more at uh1.com. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no brainers. If you have a lot of mailing to do, stamps.com is the ultimate no brainer. Use the Stamps.com mobile app to mail everything you need to keep your business running with up to 89% off USPS and UPS. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Use code PROGRAM for a special offer. That's Stamps.com, code PROGRAM. The Independent Republic of Mike Graham on Talk Radio. The Big Chief with a badge, a cattle prod and a head on a stick. Dangerous mid-morning debate with the great dictator. The Independent Republic of Mike Graham on Talk Radio. Good morning and welcome to the Independent Republic of Mike Graham here on a very auspicious fr- uh, Thursday because, of course, it is uh, Theresa May's May Day. Yesterday it was uh, Groundhog May. Today it is May Day because uh, there's all kinds of uh, Save May calls going out from the Cabinet inside Downing Street. She's refusing to leave the office, of course. Uh, she's refusing to leave the job. People are calling it uh, the most ridiculous standoff uh, since the Alamo. She's basically put a sofa up against the inside of the door uh, in 10 Downing Street. She won't see any cabinet ministers. Several of them requested to see her yesterday. Never in the history of Theresa May have so many people wanted to see her, uh, and never has she turned so many of them down. We are, of course, in what can only be described as the final hours uh, of the Prime Minister's premiership. She may go later on today. She may go tomorrow. She may decide to hang on until Monday, which is a bank holiday. She may decide to hang on until Tuesday. But whatever happens, you know uh, that she is done for, she is finished. There is absolutely no way she can survive this. The papers this morning are all over the place telling her precisely why uh, her time is up. May prepares to quit after cabinet mutiny. Yesterday, perhaps one of the most ridiculous sights of all time, seeing the Prime Minister standing at the dispatch box with fewer members of her own party behind her listening than there were members of the opposition. 0344 499 1000. We want loads of your calls this morning because we know it is, of course, election day. We can't talk about the uh, election results. We can't talk about the polls. We can't talk about how you vote. We can't do any of that. But we can talk about the end of Theresa May. 0344 499 1000. You're listening to me, Mike Graham, right here at Talk Radio. The Independent Republic of Mike Graham on Talk Radio. Now, if I said to you the word jellyfish, uh, would you immediately think of Quentin Letts? Possibly not, but I would. Quentin Letts, of course, uh, politis- political sketch writer for The Times, uh, joins us now. Quentin, a very good morning to you. Welcome. <laughs> morning, Mike. What a fantastic piece this morning, because you're quite right. Until, you know, when you read something, and until I read it, I, I never thought that jellyfish was, was, was luckily both singular and plural, and in fact could, could apply to almost everybody in the room. Yeah, we should probably explain to your listeners that jellyfish is the word that was spat out by a Eurosceptic Tory MP as he left last night's meeting of MPs, mm. where they heard that uh, their, their shop stewards were refusing to get rid of Mrs May. And we weren't really sure if the jellyfish that he said was <laughs> Mrs May herself, she is complete floater, or whether or not it was a reference to these senior MPs who just have completely failed to tell Mrs May to get the heck out of it. So that was the... Uh, I think, actually, if you look at a 
she's a bit more like a crouching tortoise today. <laughs> she's gone deep into her shell. Yes. And she's refusing to acknowledge the outside world. I'm afraid this is very much a metaphor for the way that she's behaved as prime minister. And what has undone her has been her refusal to accept the will of the people. And that's, that's, that's what, what, what's, what politicians are there to do. They're there to reflect public will. And that's why she's been, I'm afraid, a failure. And as you've also pointed out, she's managed to kind of, every, with every um, sinew in her body, make everything worse. As soon as she appears, things immediately sort of evaporate. Things that you thought you had some hope for just immediately die. And, and that's the problem. Oh, I think I fear you may have suffered the same fate as Theresa May and disappeared uh, into a jellyfish-like cave somewhere at the bottom of the ocean. We'll come back to Quentin Letts in a moment, but but he, the way he's described what Theresa May has managed to do, she, she's managed to basically uh, somehow alienate all of the people who would have supported her while trying to bring into the tent those people who don't support her. So, for example, by trying to appear to appease the Labour Party, she has angered the people who would have been her core support. I think we've got Quentin back. Quentin, sorry, you sounded a bit jellyfish like yourself there for a moment. <laughs> <laughs> I think... MI5 coming in on us, Mike. Um, <laughs> I think that's what it is. Yeah, she's, she, as you pointed out, she's got this sort of inexorable ability uh, to completely alienate those who would have been on her side in order to appease those who are not. It's a very peculiar approach to politics, yeah. isn't it? Normally, you would try to boost your own side because that's where you get your political support from. Mm. And if you don't have them supporting you, then you disappear. And this is what's happened to her. No. And all along, she's taken this slightly contrary approach to the Eurosceptics in her party, who are very much the majority in her party and in her activists. And she seems to have gone out of her way to, to brass them off. And in the end, uh, that's done for her. It's amazing, though, that she did last for that long. And the fact that she lasted that long shows the, the resilience of her personally. Mm. And we have, to, we have to pay heed to the fact that physically she's, you know, her stamina has been remarkable. And is there any it's, truth to the fact that she'd like to hang on so that she can at least say, oh, well, I lasted longer than Gordon Brown, who was also, as I recall, a pretty poor prime minister? Uh, we can only speculate about that. It's, it's, poss it's possible that, that that may be the sort of thing that drives some of them. But I think there is also a determination as possible, sort of bloody-mindedness. Yes, exactly right. Now, I'm intrigued as to what happens today because a man by the name of Mark Spencer, who apparently is a trained farmer, is going to stand up as Comptroller of the Household, sitting in for Andrea Leadsom, uh, and he's going to attempt to read this bill through, uh, which nobody wants, nobody wants to hear about, and nobody's interested in, and it's the first time he's been at the dispatch box, so it should be fun. Well, he won't read through it. We won't actually have to sort of plow through the whole thing, but he will. It's, it's likely that we will be told that this bill is going to be presented. Um, whether or not that actually ever happens, though, is, is another matter, I mm. think. And there's an element of um, uh, complete uh, uh, refusal to accept reality among uh, in, in the people in Downing Street at the moment. She is going. There is no doubt about that. And uh, she's going to be succeeded, I suspect, very strongly by a more Brexity Tory leader because the MPs here are extremely worried about what's been happening during the last few weeks mm. to their support. Their support, it seems, has evaporated to another party. We're probably not allowed to mention no, that party today. That's right. and, um, uh, and likewise, Labour MPs are very worried about uh, the effect on their vote too. So the MPs here in the, in the Palace of Westminster are at last 
starting to take heed of the public opinion. Well, about time too. Quentin, I know you've got to rush off. Thank you so much for joining us. We'll talk to you again soon. You must come and visit us in our uh, brand new uh, spot inside your building. Quentin Letts, sketch writer for The Times, magnificently uh, describing her end yesterday because it was awful to watch. As we did on Prime Minister's Questions yesterday, myself and Ross Kempsel were sitting in this very studio watching what seemed to be the kind of slow death of a wounded animal as more and more Tory backbenchers got up and started uh, sort of knifing Theresa May, not with Brexit, bizarrely, but with the Northern Ireland question. Let's talk now to Kate Hoey, uh, who's Labour MP, of course, for Vauxhall. Uh, she's been a long-time supporter of Brexit. And, of course, um, we expect Kate to be in the uh, House this afternoon uh, listening to what it is that is going on. Kate, a very good uh, morning to you. Welcome. Well, good morning. And, of course, business questions is a regular weekly thing that happens. But uh, today, because it's not going to be Andrea Leedsom, uh, I mean, what will just be announced, frankly, is... The, the business for next week or the week that we're back and it will then tell us whether there's going to be the second reading of this so-called new exciting bill but today that be it has to be presented or tomorrow you know formally presented as a bill and then we'll actually see the detail because none of us have seen the detail yet but there no. won't be any real discussion on it no right and you've seen the making and the breaking of a few prime ministers in your time kate that was pretty uh, cruel watching mm. yesterday wasn't it Yes, and I, you know, it's been it's been so predictable that it was going to happen sometime. Uh, I, I'm just surprised that it didn't, you know, happen earlier. And perhaps for the prime minister, it would have been better if, uh, when the first rumblings really became quite loud, that she wasn't going to be able to stay. Um, I, I personally don't understand why she didn't feel then that that was the best time to go. Um, rather, you know, sometimes people don't seem to realise that it's going to happen and, mm. and she was determined uh, as she's done right through everything she's done uh, on, on Brexit and on other issues, you know, once she makes up her mind, I mean she's got into this terrible situation over the Northern Ireland soldiers issue, um, there's another issue in Northern Ireland over institutional uh, um, abuse where it's basically she must have a lot told Karen Bradley not to not to settle. So there's all mm. sorts of things where she, once she put, digs in, she seems to just not listen to anyone. And I think that's been her problem. She doesn't have anyone really around her who is in touch with the backbench um, either on the Conservative side or indeed in the House as a whole. No, quite. I mean, as we were saying there with Quentin Letts, she's almost alienated those who would have been willing to support her for the sake of trying to bring into the tent people who don't support her and never will and would like to see her uh, her actual demise. And so it's been a very odd approach that she's taken. And, and, and while you're right to say that she's very kind of cussed and seems stubborn and all of that, she has changed... The, the Brexit withdrawal agreement quite quite substantially over time think, and, and seemingly was willing to change it even more. I think that's been the real problem that we don't know, obviously, what discussed in Cabinet, but clearly when the, she then spoke about it, seemed to be different from what many members of the Cabinet had thought had been agreed, which is why we didn't get the immediate... Uh, resignation and walkout, but Andrea Leadsom, who has been a, a really magnificent leader of the House uh, and, and very, very willing to uh, listen and respond to questions. It's, it's an opportunity business questions for anyone to get up and ask about anything. And the, the leader of the House has to be over a huge number, a whole area of briefs, and she's done it very well. And I can understand this morning she wasn't going to get up and talk about something that she didn't believe in and have her, her heart in. So I, I think um, she in a way, has come out as the, as the bravest member of the Brexit-supporting uh, 
members in the cabinet. I don't know whether the others will follow or they'll just simply hope to hang on until yeah. the Prime Minister goes. Well, we've got but, the uh, resignation mm-hmm. klaxon at the ready here because there was a time when it was going off quite substantially quickly, uh, one time off, one, one, one move after another. But, I mean, what we need now for all of the people in the country who want us to leave and leave properly, we need, if there's going to be a leadership contest and there isn't going to be a general election, then we need a leader of the party who really believes in Brexit. You know, you need someone who actually feels that this is going to be good for our country if it's handled properly. And I would hope that whoever is the new leader will go straight back to the European Union and say, look, things are different now. This withdrawal agreement is absolutely not on. We will we have until October the 31st to get a new agreement. But if we don't get something that is more suitable then and better for us, then I'm afraid we will have to leave on the WTO terms. We will be getting ready for that. You don't want that. So European Union, sort yourself out. And I realise that you may not be necessarily speaking to the Labour front bench on a a minute-by-minute basis, but what is their (laughs) actual uh, policy at the moment on where they want it to all go? Well, I mean, the reality is, as any opposition, they want a general election and they want to damage the government. And that, you know, would be happening if it was the other way around. So that, I'm afraid, is the way politics works. Mm. Um, so their their policy, uh, you know, I still am, I still defend Jeremy in terms of his attitude to the EU because I know he believes in leaving. But I think he has been, as a leader, trying to keep the party together. He has had huge numbers of uh, MPs, Labour MPs, who are really wanting to wreck Brexit. Uh, and he's kind of gone along with some of that. He is outnumbered. He's got a, 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 a Secretary of State for Brexit in Keir Starmer, who is a absolute believer mm. in the European Union. So it's been very difficult for him. So, I, I mean, I think um, uh, the ambiguous, unambiguous, ambiguous now, perhaps it's more unambiguous, um, uh, constructive ambiguity, I think that was the way it was defined, is still there. And, uh, you know, I... I, I well, we can't talk about the elections, so that's good. We can't, yes. In some ways, it is good, actually, because it will give us some respite until next Monday. But, I yeah. mean, there are a couple of big issues around it in the sense of British Steel, for example. Lots of people saying, pointing the finger at the European Union, saying, were we not in the EU, it would be a lot easier to salvage something out of the British Steel debacle. Similarly, the Northern Ireland issues have all got in the background, the backstop and, and, and you know, Brexit and everything else. So so these are big yes, issues. Yes, we were that, not... Absolutely. I mean, we will not be able to really move on until we are out of the European Union and until the votes of the 17.4 million and all those people now who believe in democracy, who voted for Remain. And I've been struck by that, how many people actually, even though they would have preferred us to stay in, have now accepted we're leaving and think we should be leaving and getting on with it. And, and, you know, until we do that, until we get that clean break, uh, we will not be able to kind of distinguish everything else and there's no doubt about it that our position on British Steel would have been very very different if we hadn't been in the European Union and so that's why you know Labour is crazy to be talking about wanting to stay in a customs union and so on because in the end if we're not completely independent and free to make our own decisions and getting rid of the state aid rules then we can't as a Labour government if it was a Labour government actually do some of the things that no. we're saying we want to do well so quite right and you can't there's not even any point this, in, in having a manifesto on it boil and get out yes and you know this is probably I mean, she hasn't gone yet, let's not forget, but when the Prime Minister goes and there's a new leader, then we're in a new phase situation. And and hopefully that will be um, 
the beginning of the end of uh, this very long saga. Yes. Because the European Union have made it as difficult as possible. The, the, the Article 50 process of two years, you have to wait anyway. All of this has made it so difficult. And that's what they want. They want us to have another referendum. Mm. They want us to stay in. They think we were going to change our minds like other European countries, but we're not going to do that. No, quite. I'll leave you with this final breaking news that the Foreign Secretary, Jeremy Hunt, apparently says he expects Theresa May will still be Prime Minister when US President Donald Trump comes to the UK on the 3rd of June. What do you make of that? Well, I mean, she she would probably announce the date she's going. Um, I, I'm, I, of course, that, that is the first week back uh, when the Prime, mm. when I expect she would like to stay and receive him. Not that I think he cares, probably. <laughs> I should think so. Who he's meeting. I think he's only interested in meeting the Queen. What's well, I mean, he doesn't He doesn't like losers, does he? He doesn't want to be, be mixed up meeting any losers, in his words. So I presume he wants to meet winners only. That's right. And he did warn her some, some time ago that she wasn't standing up to the EU enough, which yeah. is exactly what I would say too. Yes, quite. Kate, thank you very much indeed. Kate Hoey, fascinating day coming up in Parliament. We'll have uh, the resignation klaxon at the ready. We'll remind you of what it sounds like coming up very shortly. We'll also continually uh, go to the countdown clock on Brexit uh, because we're counting down to when nothing actually happens. Uh, something finally is happening, though. It does look as though, even if it takes a few more days or a few more hours, Theresa May's rule is at an end. This is Talk Radio. More gun talk from a water pistol from the farmer of fury. The independent republic of Mike Graham. On Talk Radio. Just got to chill anyway. Any excuse to play the basic roles as far as I'm concerned. 03444991000. Will Theresa May be saying bye-bye at some point later today, tomorrow perhaps? Or will she actually hang around, uh, as Philip Hammond has just said, uh, or Jeremy Hunt rather, uh, that she's going to hang around until Donald Trump gets here uh, on June the 3rd? Let's talk to Professor Scott Lucas from the University of Birmingham, uh, a man who studies Mr Trump uh, assiduously. Professor Scott, a a very good morning to you, I should say. Morning to you, Mike. Now, I don't know whether Donald Trump will greet this news with great sort of uh, enthusiasm now that he said that he only wants to meet the royal family. I don't suppose he cares who uh, is the prime minister at this point. <laughs> well, I'm not sure he's noticed himself, Mike, but some of his advisors would do. Because yes. the backstory to this is that for months, going back to Donald Trump's visit to the UK last July, uh, there have been both advisors in the White House and those connected with Trump, like Steve Bannon, who are behind a guy named Boris Johnson, Mm. who may have prime ministerial ambitions. Uh, Bannon met with Boris Johnson's people last summer to discuss what was happening just after Johnson resigned as foreign minister. You may recall a few months ago that Donald Trump Jr. uh, had an opinion piece in the Daily Telegraph that talked about how wonderful Boris Johnson would be as prime minister. So I think while Donald Trump is probably more concerned about how lavish the banquet is in Buckingham Palace, um, as well as making sure that other family members can tag Mm. along with him, I think there will be those who are connected with Trump who, when they are here in early June, 
if Theresa May is still in office, they may be having some interesting discussions about how long she will be there. Yes, quite. I mean, I, for one, am not certain she will be here by June the 3rd because I think the, the, the sort of the political clouds are gathering in such a way that I just don't see that she can survive that long. But, you know, who knows? She's got incredible ability to stay places that I never thought she would stay in for as long as she had. It's fascinating for me, though, when Trump travels. I don't know how much we know about the ministerial kind of code and the presidential um, sort of power because you know how... When Fleetwood Mac go into a hotel, they take over a whole floor. You know, um, uh, you get people like Christine McVie saying that she needs the temperature to be absolutely right in the room. Uh, you get all sorts of other people saying that they want only white in the dressing room. Does he travel with lots of TV so that he can constantly watch Fox News while he's sitting up at night? Because that seems to be what he does most of the time. Well, yeah, and it'll be easier for him in terms of the time difference if he can sneak away, because Fox and Friends, his favorite show, is on at 11.30 our time, so he can even <laughs> sleep in. Well, and I so mean, he might have to try and get it online, though, because you don't think you can see it actually on uh, regular TV now, can you? I suspect Donald Trump's smartphone is set up for two things. One is, is for Fox's TV stream, yeah. and the second is for Twitter. I was going to say for the McDonald's uh, drive through or something. Like that. <laughs> yeah, that's, other one. that's probably number three. Yeah. John, I mean, he has, said, he has said in the past that he would have met uh, with, uh, with Boris Johnson as well, I think, just before, before all of this kind of kicked off and before we knew that Theresa May might be leaving. Um, there was already, I think, a plan afoot which had him meeting with Boris Johnson privately anyway, wasn't there? Well, it, indeed, it, it was more than that. So another reminder... Remember that the day before he set foot in the U.K. last July, he gave an interview with Tom Newton Dunn of The mm. Sun. And he said two things in that interview were striking. One is he said that Theresa May was, in, was being very weak in how she dealt with the EU, and he could advise her how to negotiate with them. Right. And well, then secondly, he said Boris Johnson, he would be a great prime minister. Yes. So he was already putting those messages out. Now, I think he'll be... Even Donald Trump, I think, will be too smart to do that publicly, again, if she is in office. But let me give you a second dimension to this, and that is other people who are around Trump are in close contact with Nigel Farage. Um, we know that Nigel Farage was part of the Trump campaign in 2016. We know that some of the backers of the Trump campaign have backed Farage in his various ventures yeah. since then. And so what happens after today's vote if, and I must emphasize if, if the Brexit party has a surge, you will have an atmosphere on June the 3rd where we're not only talking about the relationship of Trump's people to the conservative party, but we're talking about whether Trump's people will make any reference to the Brexit party at that point. Right. Unfortunately, unfortunately we'd love to discuss that at great length, but we can't really make any reference to it today either, Correct. just because today <laughs> and until Sunday we are locked in uh, to not knowing precisely what will happen. But what about what's going on at home for him? Because it turns out that it, really it's a good piece of timing for him to be travelling over here because looking at what's happening between him and Nancy Pelosi, uh, he's broken off the agreement that they had with the Democrats. He's accusing them of plotting his downfall. You know, is it more Trumpian sort of um, play politics or is this really a big deal? I mean, this visit, first and foremost, is for his ego. Yeah. I mean, let's just very clear. Well, everything is, is, isn't it? Yeah. I mean, Donald Trump always wanted to get over here. He loves the pomp and circumstance of visits. Uh, and when Theresa May offered it in January 2017, just after he took office, it was a real personal frustration that she didn't deliver on that, even on any type of visit, for 18 months. Right. Now, in terms of what you said about domestic politics, you're absolutely spot on, because Trump's latest move has been to walk out on talks with the Democrats, not only on infrastructure, but on any issue. He's effectively threatening a, a shutdown of government business 
unless they end the hearings about his fact, uh, financial matters, tax, and about uh, Trump-Russia contacts. Mm. Now, if he winds up coming to the U.K. in a couple weeks and government is effectively shut down because of that ultimatum, I'm not sure how well that looks to people beyond his base, that he's outside of Washington, in a sense, partying while the Capitol doesn't necessarily burn, but while it spins in chaos. Right. It's going to be a fascinating couple of weeks. And I suppose we'll see the usual suspects out there complaining and demonstrating against Donald Trump, which to me is a little bit sort of embarrassing. You know, I mean, you can have whatever view you like of the president of the United States of America, but but to make such a big thing of it uh, has become, sadly, a very British pastime. And I, I wish it wasn't. Well, Mike, I, and this is my personal view, but it is shared by people I know who will probably be in London. And that is, I don't think it's productive to go down there and just simply thumb your nose at Trump. Right. Uh, because one day he will be outside the White House. I do think it's important, however, to talk about issues that are important to us in the U.K., as well as over there, such as climate change, such as uh, economic matters uh, in the middle of his you know, trade wars, and also his respect for things such as women. I'm just, you know, not women's rights, minority rights. Because what Trump has done is, is that he's put a language into politics which can be quite damaging. And I think if the protests are not simply to respond with insult, but to actually call for a little bit of decency and respect, I think that actually probably... Yeah, but you can't call for decency and respect while disrespecting people and being indecent in the street about them. And that's the problem. When you have signs that say, you know, F Trump, and, you know, they start throwing things and throwing, you know... Um, milkshakes over people, you know, I'm afraid that decency and respect is not the, uh, the wherewithal of the left, you know, they well, don't have it anymore. Well, I, when, I mean, because I, I was in London covering uh, on an outside broadcast the protest that took place uh, Have you got July. your car, union card for that? Because, you know, we're no, a very closed unit in journalism here, you know. <laughs> yeah, I know. They, they let me sneak in as an outsider. But okay. I was, you know, I was above Parliament Square covering it and then was actually uh, watching the main march a little bit later on. And the vast majority of that march was done not only peacefully, but it was done with that respect which you're calling for there. Uh, it wasn't an F Trump. You know, we had a bit of fun because of the Trump baby balloon and all that. But there were you a lot of... you think that was respectful? The Trump baby line? Yeah. Uh, you know what, Mike, I can go back and talk about, you know, great British artists like William Hogarth and George Crookshank. Yeah, you could do, but that's not the question I asked you. Well, that's what I mean. And, I, and the fact is, is that we've always, we've always had a bit of fun in this country at poking fun at figures. I didn't know there was Hogarth balloons that were made, to be honest. Yeah. But you're telling me something I don't know. That's fine. Well, Hogarth cartoons were quite popular back then and are still quite good now. Cartoonists can do what they want. That's not the same as flying a great big balloon, which actually wasn't very funny anyway. Well, sure, sure it is. Sure it is. I mean, the idea is that when you look at the figures that we talk about in Britain, all the way from Hogarth, all the way up to, say, something like Private Eye and so on, all the way up to the fact that you can be, you too can be quite vocal, which is to Listen, you can, do, you can do it. It's a free country. You can do whatever you like, but don't no, try no, no, and tell no, me no, it's respectful. Saying, That's Mike, I'm actually saying to you, I've said that in the past I've listened to you, Mike, and you've actually, when politicians can be pompous or overblown or when they can be exaggerated, you take them on. Sure. Now, and here's the point I really want to get across. If you criticize Donald Trump and do it respectfully, it is not a criticism of the American presidency of the American system. In fact... No, I never said it was, but you're missing my point, Scott. Well, we've got to go because yeah. the news is coming. The point is don't be disrespectful and tell me that you're being respectful. Simple as that. This is Talk Radio. 
One size fits all seems like a good idea for clothes until you try them on. Same goes for healthcare. That's why United Healthcare offers flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. Learn more at uh1.com. It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to Monday.com. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. And if you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. It streamlines your processes to make your business more efficient, which makes you less busy. Mail checks, invoices, legal documents, and everything you need to keep your business running with Stamps.com. Seamlessly connect with every major marketplace and shopping cart. Schedule package pickups and see your cheapest and fastest shipping options from different carriers. With rates up to 89% off USPS and UPS rates. And with the Stamps.com mobile app. You can take care of mailing and shipping wherever you are. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Sign up with Code Program for a 4-week trial, plus free postage and a free digital scale. No long-term commitments or contracts. That's Stamps.com. Code Program. More blasted rhetoric from the Banana Republic for people who think capital punishment isn't going nearly far enough. <laughs> the Independent Republic of Mike Graham on Talk Radio. These good buy songs are great, aren't they? If she doesn't go for a while, we can play them for days on end. 0344 499 1000. Cheerio, uh, Teresa, it's been real. Thanks very much for all the fish. Uh, or not, as the case may be. Uh, lots of you want to get on, lots of you will get on, of course. 0344 499 1000. You can tweet us as well, at Talk Radio. Uh, Lionheart says this, send Extinction Rebellion to China to stop the emanation of CFC 11. Remind them when they get there, they won't be able to have all-night raves, play the loud music, stand in roads or glue themselves to objects as they may find themselves extinct. Literally. <laughs> yeah, the firing squad will get to them. I'd love to know who the... Uh, Chinese environmental minister is actually so that we can get him on the phone and see what he's doing about this incredible pollution of our environment CFCs uh, which were supposedly banned in the western world uh, in 2010 the Chinese have done nothing about that and in fact if anything have increased them uh, David says can St Greta see CFC 11 through uh, like she can see CO2 well, I don't know. I haven't heard of St. Greta since the Extinction Rebellion crowd. I presume she's having a bit of a holiday. Or maybe uh, she's doing some exams. You never know. Let's talk to David, who's in Bermondsey. Hi, David. Hi, Mike. Yeah. Yeah, how are you doing? Yeah, good, thanks. Yeah, nice to talk to you. Mike, I hope I'm wrong, but I, I honestly think the potential candidates for the, for the premiership mm. are dreading. I think they're dreading Theresa May leaving because they themselves don't want to take on the huge job of Brexit. Do you not think that anyone who is uh, worth their salt in, uh, in in politics, though, wants to be Prime Minister? They all want to be Prime Minister, don't they? Yeah, but would you want to go to and from 
uh, back and forth to Brussels again. It's it's ridiculous. Well, do you I know, it depends on your personality. I'd quite like to do that. You know, I'm quite argumentative, as you know. I don't mind putting people on the spot. I would love to walk into a room full of people uh, who don't want to see me uh, and who have yeah. to listen to what I have to say. And I would know, in, and, and I'd feel the power, knowing that if I didn't like what they said, I'd just get up and walk away. Well, that sounds good, but to me, uh, sorting out Brexit is so complicated. The rules and regulations, I think there's a big difference, I think. But it's complicated because they've made it complicated. It's not complicated at all, really, because like I've been saying, if we were to leave with a deal, we would mm. still have to negotiate e each and every part of that deal and all sorts of other parts of the deal beyond the, what the deal was about. So we could easily leave without a deal and be in the same boat, practically. Right. Do you see what I mean? Well, you can go for the job, but I won't, <laughs> Listen, it's a good point you make, and it may well be that you have a point. Uh, David doesn't think that anybody can do a better job than Theresa May. But wait, what's that I hear in the distance? It's either a ship, because, you know, we're very close to the river now. It could be a cruise ship coming up the river. No, it's not a cruise ship coming up the river. It is, in fact the Brexit countdown clock. We play this to see whether we're getting any closer to not leaving the European Union. Let's have a listen. No, we're not getting any closer. You know what was one of the great things yesterday was when Andrea Ledsom announced their resignation, right? Loads of people tweeted me saying all they could hear in the background was the Brexit countdown clock. <laughs> Which is a great tribute to this show, I think. You know, like the tent of shame, it has entered the common parlance of Brexit. Let's talk to Susan in Exeter. Hello, Susan. Good afternoon, Michael. Good afternoon. How are your climate emissions down in the West Country? Well, I don't know in the, in the um, scientific sense. But, well, that's what I um, mean. I, well, I, I, I don't know because I, I haven't spoken to the scientists. Okay, all but right. I suspect we're suffering the same as any, anywhere else. Mm, could be. But... My my uh, feelings are, first of all, I think Theresa May will not step down. She's so pig-headed, she won't go, and they will have to somehow get her to go. She won't physically go. Oh, I think she's going to have to, though. I mean, I know that... Yeah, she, I is know... She, is, she is going to have to, but she won't, because she's sticking her heels in. Mm. Well, she's like stuck she's the sofa there. up against the door, that's what I was saying this morning. Exactly. Mm. She's, I don't know what's wrong with her. She's awful. She's the most insensitive person I think we've ever had. Very, in very she's stubborn. Very. Mm. Is this why I keep going to, back to astrology? She must have Taurus rising in her because I can see a little bull. You know, bull. when they stick a little bull, yeah, a little yeah. bullock. When you get them, when you want to shift them from one field to another, and they don't want to go, yeah. you've got a hell of a job moving them. You know. How do you do but, it? Um, what do you lure them with? I don't know. Well, my sit the farm. You don't put a cow in the other side, don't you? Well, it could be, but the farmer who my sister used to live next door to, he said, "Could you tease Billy? We need to shift him. Yes. Can you get, can you get the cauliflower?" And she used to wave a cauliflower at him, and he, he used to come over, and then they shut the gate behind. Yeah, he had a thing about cauliflower. Right. So you think if we stand yeah. outside uh, Ten Downing Street and just hurl cauliflower at the door, she'll come out? No, she won't come out. I don't. You see, now that's naughty because we shouldn't hurl, hurl anything. No, you're right. You know, absolutely Nigel right. Had, Nigel had that. Yes. And by the way, I feel very sorry for Nigel. And I yeah, don't worry. We can't talk about him because we're not talking about no, the elections. No, I'm not going to talk about him. But I think the man who threw the milkshake should pay for his suit. All right, but well, he's been charged, hasn't he? So we can't talk about him either. Yeah, but also make him pay for Nigel's suit. I that's told you we can't thing. talk about that. Tell us something we I'm, can talk about. Tell us what you're going right. to do about CFC 11. 
Well, it's not in my hands, is it? I'm trying to I'm trying to be careful what I do. Are you? you know, pers- on a personal level. Good. I only shop when I need to. Okay. Um, I don't have the fridge. Um, I, I try to... I, I don't have heating because... You don't have heating? Reasons. I think I'm doing very well, actually. Have you got a, have you got a wood-burning stove of any kind? No. I quite like one in winter, but I don't because they're, uh, they're another thing. You haven't got a and car. We're running out. we're running out of wood to feed them. Has yeah, we're going to grow. Of... We're just growing more trees. No, what we need to do is harvest the Japanese knotweed and chuck that in it. That's true. Actually, I I, I went on a, a search for some of that around my house. I didn't find any, luckily. You didn't find no. any. No. Yeah. Well, I don't know where it all is because apparently we've got a massive problem with it. Haven't yeah, yeah. We? It was, we did it last week, didn't we? Yeah, we did. Yeah. When you counted the when you did the uh, countdown clock clock. Yes. Um, See, I was thinking, I was wondering if Holly, little Holly's getting excited. You know the little dog, Holly? Holly who? The little puppy, Oh, yeah, the yeah, the one dog. that howled. Holly, the, the yeah. howling the howling terrier, yeah. <laughs> yeah, well, we'll have to try and get back to ha- the howling Holly and see whether or not we can make her howl again. But thank you, Susan. <laughs> um, a great many subjects covered there. Uh, cabbages, apparently, might get uh, Theresa May out of uh, Downing Street. I'll tell you what, the good thing is, is the guy who's going to stand up in the Houses of Parliament this afternoon, Mark um, Spencer, is in fact a trained farmer. So he may know precisely how to use the cauliflowers in such a way as to remove Theresa May uh, from one uh, way or another from Downing Street. We are told, by the way, uh, that there's not going to be a massive session this afternoon, but there will be at some point in the following uh, two weeks. I think she's just now putting everything off and filibustering to stay around as long as possible. I still don't think she's going to win, though. Across the UK, online and on DAB. The Independent Republic of Mike Graham on Talk Radio. This is the Independent Republic of Mike Graham. Matthew Wright's coming up at 1 o'clock, 0344 499 1000. Paul says, Mike, has anybody thought of putting a very large mouse trap outside of 10 Downing Street with a pound of cheese on it? Problem sorted. I'm not sure she's a big fan. Maybe a box of eggs, because she came out of church that time with half a dozen eggs, do you remember? Uh, Rob has very kindly sent me a Wikipedia entry for the Chinese environmental minister, uh, whose name apparently is Li Ganji. Born November 1964, Chinese politician, Minister of Ecology and the Environment, previously as the Minister of Environmental Protection. He's previously served as head of the National Nuclear Safety Administration. <laughs> so maybe he's not the best man for the job. But we'll be in touch with him about CFC 11 uh, and see whether or not we can uh, uh, get him to uh, stop sending all that poison up into the atmosphere. Uh, it's got to the point where I'd even prefer Susan from Exeter as Prime Minister, says Pete. Uh, and uh, Miles says, old Claire seems to be on shaky ground when you ask for the name of the Chinese Environment Minister. Well, we know who that is now, but let's talk to Duncan Stevenson instead, who is Director of External Affairs at the Royal Society for Public Health, because here's a story um, that you wouldn't have expected to see me doing, and it's all about public toilets. More than 700 public toilets have closed in just the last eight years, apparently leaving many Britons afraid to venture out too far from home. Duncan, very good afternoon to you. Welcome. Good afternoon. I mean, it's a bit of a, uh, a worry, isn't it, if you find yourself in the middle of a town, and I think this affects perhaps older people rather than younger people, um, with nowhere to go, as it were. That's right. I think uh, three-quarters of the people we spoke to said they didn't have enough uh, toilets in their local area, and as a result of that, uh, some people are 
kept on what's called a loo leash. It deters people from venturing out. So one in five said they, they're not able to go out as often as they would. Yeah. And if you've got a, something wrong, like a, maybe a, a bladder condition or diabetes, or you need to, to use the loo more often, mm. that rises to about two in five. Do, pe- the, do the people not just get a bit more kind of inventive about where they go, for example, like nipping <clears> into <throat> McDonald's or, you know, a pub? Well, yes, I mean, there, there, there is that. And yeah, yeah, actually, that's true. Uh, so we did we did find that people do use alternative places. Yes. But, you know, for places like parks, there just simply simply isn't any anything available. And it's not the most hygienic thing to do. No. You have to go in a bush or whatever. So um, the, the, the key thing is there's just a lack of provision uh, right. in parks, tourist areas and shopping centres. And no doubt local councils will say, oh, it's a funding issue. But presumably it's also maybe a, a safety issue as well, because a lot of public toilets I know when I was growing up became places where you wouldn't really want to go because of what you might find was going on in there. Yeah, yeah, I mean, you're right. It does boil down to, to money at the end of the day. I mean, uh, local authorities have seen massive cuts um, and, uh, the, you know, the money that they get from government has, has dropped markedly. So for every pound they used to get from government, that's that they've lost about 60 pence yeah. every pound. Um, so, yes, and safety is an issue. That's why you know, they need to be well-maintained, and that requires investment. Mm. Some of the reasons for not using a public toilet is the fact that they are unclean or they, they, you know, they don't smell very nice yeah. or the lack of loo roll. Yes, because I suppose, I mean, is it, is it too much to expect now that you, you, you could have a public convenience which wasn't staffed, as it were, and you would just expect people to be clean. I don't think you can you can expect that anymore, and it's a very sad state of affairs. But, you know, there was a time when there were attendants, like there are in some railway station toilets still, where you go in, and some of them started asking for 20p to, to try and stop homeless people from using them, and then others, uh, you know, let anybody in. But they always have somebody in there. Yes, yes, but you... you... I mean, we'd argue that you, you shouldn't have to charge people for something that is, you know. No, I agree. A, a I agree. Right. So, um, you know, the fact the fact of the matter is, they do need to be. It's a human positive. right now, is it? It is a human is right. It? I yeah, didn't know that. You can't, you can't well, it, which human rights act is it in then? <laughs> I don't know, but what we oh. what we are suggesting Sorry. is that it could be part of a public health act or an amendment yes. to a public health. Oh, act. I no, I agree. I must admit, um, I was quite pleasantly surprised. I was in Camden the other day, and uh, they've got some public toilets which I thought were a bit of museum piece in the middle of the road by the tube, and they were actually open. You know, right. which was very and actually relatively clean as well. Because the other issue is how late do you keep them open? Somewhere like Camden in London. It's obviously a very late spot. People stay there till three, four in the morning. Could you realistically keep them open till then? Um, I mean, if they are properly maintained, and I think you'd probably need somebody uh, to kind of an attendant or somebody yeah. to, to check in. Then, so what's then... happened to all these public, these 700 public toilets that have been shut down? Have they, have they sold them off? Have, you know, because they're in oh, prime A range spots. of things. So you might have seen, uh, certainly in London, you, you notice that some have been turned into bars. Right. So, Either they're sold off or they're privatised or they're converted into other facilities like right. bars and restaurants. So they're sort of lost forever then? They are lost forever and uh. it's a real shame because it is, it is part of our civic in- infrastructure. Mm. It's right. one of those things that we, we absolutely need, like street lighting. Right. Well, they're phasing that out in some places as well. You know, also yeah. in London, in parts of the West End, they've got these uh, pop-up toilets, for want of a better description, um, where they're sort of male urinals. I'm sorry to use this 
phraseology at this time of the day. And and but they're open and they're sort of you're you know you're standing facing you know yeah the, and I've used them myself actually I have and um, they they're are not for useful, me I must but, say but but they they they're helpful for men but uh, what about women well, I think that's exactly. some, something else we talk about in our report this yeah. need for what we call potty parity that uh, women do need more access to to more toilets you yeah. know if you're a bloke you you're unlikely to be queuing for long whereas women yeah. tend to because for various different reasons, um, they, there's no they they can't use urinals. They, yeah. they need cubicles. Right. So we're, we're calling for a higher ratio of of uh, female to male toilets. And who? So so where is one? Where is all this money going to come from um, to build these new toilets? Is there a room for maybe sort of temporary porta you know porta loo type things? Well, we've we've called for a range of things. So obviously. You know, the key thing would be for the government to reverse the cuts they've made to local authorities and yeah, invest. Yeah, well, that, that's not going to happen, is it? If that's not possible, some something like we've we've suggested a you know tongue-in-cheek spend a penny campaign where you put a penny on the oyster card or something, uh -huh. and we we calculate that that could generate 700 toilets at the very least in London, which would be great. All the sponsorship opportunities or tax break opportunities for companies that want to invest in in that. But right. basically, we just need to increase the capacity public toilets because um, it's falling way short and it's stopping people from venturing out. Yeah, OK. Duncan, thanks very much indeed for joining us. Duncan Stevenson there says that there's a, some kind of connection between people not going out and there not being enough public toilets. I can't see that myself, but I mean, I certainly agree with him that it's not a bad thing to have more of them, providing they're not grotty and horrible and disgusting, which, of course, mostly they are. Across the UK, online and on DAB, the independent republic of Mike Graham on Talk Radio. If you enjoyed that, be sure to catch the whole show 10 to 1, Monday to Friday on Talk Radio, via DAB, online or via the Talk Radio app. If you have an opinion on the stories we cover, we'd love to hear from you. Call us 0344 499 1000 or tweet at Talk Radio during the show to have your say. The independent republic of Mike Graham on Talk Radio. 